Your passcode has Please stand by, we're about to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Good day and welcome to the BMC TrueSight Capacity Optimization 10.3 What's New webinar. Today's call is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to your host, John Seifert. Please go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to welcome everybody to the TrueSight Capacity Optimization 10.3 What's New. My name is John Seifert. I'm a lead product manager for the Capacity Optimization um, uh, product set and solution. I also have with me on the phone a number of folks that will be supporting us in, from the panel perspective. Sidir Apti is our lead development architect. He will be talking about the details. I'll be going into some of the upfront features and functions that we added with 10.3, and then we'll be wrapping that up. So let's get started here. Um, of course, when you're calling in, here's some of the, the phone numbers that we everybody's calling in to make sure that you're from various areas in, in the world and everything. So some key features, just at an introductory level, then we're going to go into a little bit more detail, and Sadir will be going through that. And of course, we have a number of panelists on there that you can answer questions with later on. So with 10.3, you know, we continue this, this journey of both simplification, coverage, and enhanced analytics. You can see the colors here that we, we use. When we talk about simplification, right, we put that in a green color. If we're talking about cloud coverage, uh, uh, coverage overall, right, we put that in blue. And in, in the orange, brownish orange there is our enhanced analytics. The second thing in here, I pull your attention to here is that we map this against what we look at as personas or user types of users of our componentry. So the uh, riding up the right side of this chart here, um, you know, we're focusing enhancements to admins, then our power users, which are folks who are data analysts or capacity planners, and then the consumers that are people who consume um, either reports or use our views. So let's just talk about some of the features that we'll talk about in what's new a little further, but in a high level. Working up from the bottom up, we simplified with 10.3 a number of areas. One area is we, we added some uh, flexibility around the data policy area, which gives you some structure around how much data you keep. Um, with 10.0, we added the SQL option, the Postgres SQL option, and we enhanced that in 10.3 for larger environments. And we, we provided some enhancements for uh, migrating environments round two. Uh, second, as we move up the stack here with uh, integration with our TrueSight operations management platform, our peers there, we've added some KVM support. Um, again, that was with 10.3. And we integrated to data analytics, which is part of OM, the operations management. And we'll go into some details with that, but providing you the ability to automate some of your uh, analytics and getting business drivers into your environment. Moving up the stack here, we, you know, we continue to enhance the cloud coverage um, in the sense of the public space and also in the private space. So with OpenStack, we enhanced the OpenStack env environment. We had support in 10.0. We added that Celia Media API uh, for covering the KVM space. 
and that's been added into the, the product line. We also added AWS connector to the CloudWatch, so now you'll have some more advanced analytics that you can utilize in the CloudWatch space. And this is starting to round out our public and private cloud uh, space, and we're continuing to focus on that. Uh, with the advanced uh, analytics that we have wrapped around uh, reservations, um, we've done a number of things to streamline that. It, and I, I even put this a little bit into the simplification, right, where we've added APIs and XML integration so that you can actually streamline in the reservation into the, uh, into the reservation console versus manually putting in. That's available inside uh, 10.3 where you can actually use those APIs to work on that. And Sadir will, will comment a little bit more on that. Um, we've also, because we added KVM support, for coverage, we extended that to support KVM for the, you know, the reservation console. In the uh, area of analytics and everything and reporting, um, we've added the ability to do quick analysis with metric formulas so that you can adjust things on the fly within your reporting. We've also added some analysis and modeling reporting capabilities, which Sadir will actually detail out a little bit more in, in his presentation of the, the pieces. With, with the uh, open stack, like we had back in the blue area, now at the top layer here, we've actually extended and uh, enhanced the uh, best practice view for uh, open stack. And then on top of that, we've actually enhanced the capacity pool view to support uh, KVM. So overall, I mean, this is the 10.3 re-release was released in July. Um, we've had good um, anticipation of this. We've had good uh, feedback on it. We've had customers moving to it and starting to utilize a lot of these functionalities, and this is what's available in 10.3 as of July. A little bit on our go-to-market. Um, we continue to have a strong community. Uh, I've been with uh, BMC now for six months, and this is a, a really vibrant environment. Uh, we have active 200 uh, members you know, various uh, contributions on a daily basis and the whole bit. Um, as you can see, some of our numbers here, daily views, likes, responses, um, both BMC and Moviri, who is our, our market zone partners, uh, are responding to the, of the community. And, you know, if you're not part of the community today, we encourage you to get it out there. Um, there's an awful lot of good information uh, being shared in there beyond the documentation we already provide where we're providing different ideas and, and help there. So there's a lot of good information there, and we encourage you to, to get out there. And we continue to enhance that community area, too. Uh, part of the training area, um, we have three categories of training that has been provided with 10.3, uh, a What's New, which is a two-hour uh, web-based uh, training. Uh, a using and administrating classes have been uh, also provided. So in the sense of using the 10.3 uh, the release and the overall uh, solution, that was available in September, and the administration component of that it was available on September uh, 19th. So um, there's a full set of training out there to help you get up to speed on 10.3, and you can click on that link and get the, the various options and what might work for you in working with our training department. Another area that's been very popular and what we call the Amigo program, which is the assisted migration, and I'm trying to remember exactly all the words, migration operations program, 
is is been very successful. It is a uh, customer engineering program that uh, works through our support. And if you're on 10.0 or 9.5 and are looking to move to 10.3 and want some assistance, you can open up a ticket through support and ask to go through the Amigo program. And what happens here is there's a lot, um, a lot of assistance in the sense of your planning. Now, they're not doing the upgrade yourself. They're assisting you in questions and answers, but they do an awful lot of analysis of your environment to make sure that you are successful in moving up into the next releases. And I highly encourage you to engage uh, the customer engineering organization through support. Um, it's been a great program, and we've had a lot of success this way. So a little bit about what we've been done for deprecations and drops. Um, with 10.3 deployment, again, July uh, of this year, we released GA of the 10.3 release. Um, you can see here the list of drops that we went through. If you want to go in that link and, and follow more of it and get more specific details, you can, right? But let me just kind of go through some of the drops that are no longer part of the 10.3 release. Um, the vCenter proxy agent has been dropped. The connector to patrol log agents has been dropped. Um, the NetApp SDK piece and also the storage view has been dropped, which was but those have been published out as artifact on our community site. And again, back to the community, they're still out there for your use. And then on top of that, um, the SAR uh, parser for uh, the Solaris extended zones has been dropped. But again, that one was also published out on our communities in case uh, you want to take a look at that. Now, as part of the deprecation and everything, uh, we're not going to go through that. What was released in 10.0 still remains deprecated in 10.3. So again, they're supported in the sense that we're part of the package, but we continue to move forward with them in a deprecated state. So I'm going to hand this over to Sadir. And Sadir, I think I'll make you presenter and to start to go into the details of the reservation console. Great, thanks, Jen. Okay, so reservations is something that I mentioned earlier, one of the key new features that we've greatly expanded in 10.3. Uh, this is a tabular view of what's new. So as far as supported reservation target types, that is the kinds of resources that you can, uh, you can reserve, uh, as you know, in 10.0, we would support vSphere's uh, vSphere clusters and AIX hosts. And to that, we are adding KVM hosts, uh, also when they are present as rev hosts. Um, there are also some changes that I will briefly describe in creating, viewing, and modifying reservations through the UI. And something new that John also mentioned was we can now import reservations from external systems. And that talks about two new mechanisms that I will explain. Uh, we can now manage tenant quotas and assign resource thresholds at the capacity pool level to make it easier so that you don't have to go to an individual say, cluster and set a threshold there. Uh, we can also have, we have new placement rules UI uh, in which you can assign tags and take into account high availability or disaster recovery requirements when you're creating reservations. So in the next few slides, I will briefly walk you through these features. 
as far as extended platform coverage, yes, KVM, as I said, is now supported. And the uh, where I said it was custom tags that are now uh, supported, the placement rules um, can now be uh, defined based on custom tags so that they will be taken into account when you're placing a reservation. So the idea is that uh, if you have some constraints that you define using tags, for example, this kind of uh, reservation must go on this other kind of target, um, you can assign tags and those rules um, will be enforced to during placement. Uh, when you go to a placement UI, as you know, the placement UI shows you the targets available for placement on the right-hand side. And this new facility allows those, uh, those lists of targets to be filtered according to the constraints that you specify. This allows you to scale better because you can have a large number of potential targets uh, and in the UI it helps if you can filter them. Now, um, as far as what integrated demand and capacity management is concerned, uh, in the initial version of reservations that was in 10.0, as you know, the future demand that's coming up that says I want to create projects uh, in the future um, and therefore I want to create a reservation, that comes uh, through some other channel to the person, the capacity planner, who is now taking these reservations and recording them using this feature. So that part has been enhanced in 10.3, where these um, upcoming projects information, uh, in other words, the reservation details, can instead directly be imported. And so there are two new mechanisms that are listed there in the center of the slide. One is the XML-based integration for reservations, and the other is the reservations API. So this would allow somebody to import reservations easily into two-site capacity optimization and then take over the rest of the workflow where you decide exactly which targets should hold these reservations and then manage them on an ongoing basis. The point of this, of course, is better quality of service because customers can now use this integrated workflow for demand and capacity management. So that somebody is requesting resources and those requests can be directly put into the true site capacity optimization database. So how does this work? There are three use cases of which one was already available. Uh, let me just revise that one. That's number one. Creation and assignment through the CO console UI. Just as you could do in Tenno, you can create reservations, modify them, and you can assign reservations to target clusters or hosts through the UI. And that, uh, those assignments and those new reservations are stored in the CO, what we might call the reservation backend in the database. What's new is, uh, first of all, number two, which is the ability to create reservations via a new XML parser. So in the center of the screen, you see this reservation XML file parser. The idea is that whatever external system you have, uh, it could be an external request UI of some kind uh, or a portal or a ticketing system, uh, it could in certain cases generate an XML file. So there's an XML file format that's been defined for capacity optimization. If you stick to that file format, you could generate an XML file and do the integration in that way. This creates uh, a new reservation, for example, in the CO reservations backend. 
And the way this works is it goes through this new reservations API. That's a new API defined in 10.3 through which external systems can create reservations. Uh, the, the third use case, which is enabled by this, is also creation modification also of uh, reservations via the reservations API directly. So if there's an external system that needs to be integrated, it could be a request UI or a portal or a ticketing system that can be modified. Then it can make calls directly to the API, and that would be a more programmer-friendly way of doing it, a more tight integration in which reservations and modifications to existing reservations can be done directly. So these three mechanisms are now available. Uh, the way the entire workflow would work is that instead of having to create the reservations and defining the items as in the first use case, um, the capacity manager would simply review the existing uh, reservations and uh, including reservations that were newly created through one of these two new methods. And they could then modify the reservations. They could assign the reservations to target clusters and change them and, and all that. And they could also review how those reservations were impacting the resources in the future. So this saves them the time of having to create the reservations themselves. The reservations XML parser, it can programmatically, as we said, import reservations in batch mode. So what the integrator needs to do is generate the XML files with a prescribed XML specification which describes the reservation. And you see an example on the left-hand side. You can schedule a new parser, which is called a reservation XML file parser, and configure it to pick up that XML file from a specified location. And from then on, just like any other connector, it would pick up a new XML file that had been generated and parse it to create reservations. The reservations API, which is, as I showed you on that slide, a lower level way of creating reservations directly, can allow you to do all of these things uh, using a programming API. So full create, read, update, delete operations for reservations uh, templates uh, in which you define the standardized shapes of the reservation item. Uh, you can create a new reservation item as you're defining new reservations. And you can create onboarding and offboarding. And at the same time, you can also search and read capacity target information, uh, the list of capacity pools, and any tenants that have been defined. Uh, the example shown here is, of course, a developer in interface in which you're defining uh, arguments for a REST API and making the calls directly. If you call them directly, then you can see on the second um, window screenshot at the bottom how the new reservations appear in the COUI. The second major item that John had mentioned was about new support for Amazon AWS. Uh, there are two new features, uh, one of which is this Amazon AWS, the other is enhancement to the existing OpenStack connector. So to talk about Amazon AWS, uh, the way it works is that the customer has some cloud resources managed under an AWS account. They could be EC2 instances, that is virtual machines. They could be EBS volumes, virtual disks, which is the elastic block storage volumes. 
And they could have auto-scaling groups defined, which are groups of virtual machines that can flex automatically based on demand. And they have two-site capacity optimization implemented on the customer premises. So this could also obviously be managing other on-premise infrastructure. And in these circumstances, they can deploy the new AWS API extractor, which connects to the AWS cloud via the public APIs. It uses two different APIs, which are exposed by Amazon. The AWS EC2 API gets entities, configurations, and relationships. And the AWS CloudWatch API gets performance metrics that are exposed by Amazon. The AWS account that the user has already contains a root identity, which is the sort of super user. It can do anything. It can create, delete, monitor all resources. Or they can create customer-defined users whose permissions are controlled by the customer via role-based access control policies. So that's what AWS allows you to do. And this new AWS API extractor and capacity optimization requires credentials of any user that has enough permissions to extract this data. So you don't have to be this root identity user. In the documentation, we explain what kinds of permissions we need and how those policies should be set to help you. So once you've set up this AWS API extractor, it connects to those two APIs and extracts the data you need from those kinds of instances, the EC2 instances, the EBS volumes, and the auto-scaling group. The architecture is very similar to any other API. The only difference is, in the center of the screen, the Amazon AWS API extractor. Uh, it connects directly to the EC2 API, the EBS API, and the CloudWatch API, um, where it gets the resource hierarchy or the performance data, respectively. And this connection is over the internet to AWS. Meanwhile, the cloud administrator is probably using the AWS admin UI or through some custom portal that they may have created to manage all those instances. So this new uh, collection capability imports the resource hierarchy and the performance data for AWS instances into BMC capacity optimization. This allows all the usual users, the cloud admin, and the capacity planner, the service manager, and so on, to do all of the use cases that we support for any other platform. So this is what the hierarchy looks like. Uh, through, the, uh, through the CloudWatch API, as I mentioned, you get the performance metrics. And the configuration metrics we get through the other two APIs. We create these three types of AWS entities in the workspace. Uh, the auto-scaling groups, which you can see on the right-hand side under AWS Cloud. And you see EC2 instances, which are, they look like VMs. And this you see at the bottom, the three instances. And you see EBS volumes, which are elastic block storage volumes that are similar to LUNs on a fan. And they can be defined independently of the EC2 instances. And then you can connect them to the EC2 instances. And the new extractor also extracts the relationship between these instances and the corresponding EBS volumes. You can see an example of that on the right-hand side under the auto-scaling groups group. 
where the uh, the EC2 instance called Sandeep is connected to the EBS volume called SAMVOL. The analysis examples are as usual. Um, you know, there are two examples given here, timeline analysis, where you can see CPU utilization percentage of a given EC2 instance. And of course, you can use these time series that you extract from EC2 from the AWS API to do time forecasting models and so on. So that was the first part of support for cloud environments. The second one is an enhanced support for the OpenStack clouds. Here again, we have a table that shows at a glance what's new in 10.3. OpenStack releases uh, are, um, the releases come out every six months. So of course, there is a new rolling uh, support for OpenStack releases, so Icehouse, Juno, and Kilo. The next one is Liberty. Performance data out of the box for KVM hosts. So in that, in 10.0, you have the option of installing capacity agents and using the gateway server ETLs to get that data from the KVM hosts. And to that, in 10.3, you have another option, which is to use Celometer. Um, for which there is a, a new component in OpenStack uh, that collects performance metrics from the hosts and from the VMs and makes those performance metrics available through an API. So the OpenStack API ETL has been enhanced to get that information as well. On the third row, similarly, we have performance data out of the box for vSphere hosts and clusters, which you could extract through the vCenter service extractor. And in 10.3, you can still do that, but you also have this second option, again, with Celometer via OpenStack API ETL. So particularly the second row for the KVM case uh, seems uh, very useful because you don't have to install agents on every single host. Uh, it saves you that work because Celometer exposes the API from a central location. The fourth row is about best practice views. So now for OpenStack, there is an out-of-the-box cloud view for your OpenStack environment. Uh, and then the last new thing is on the last row, which is all of these uh, entities in OpenStack, flavors, tenants, quotas, regions, and availability zones, these are all extracted now in 10.3, allowing you to do a more complete job with capacity management. So the, about the Celometer API. So the, the main thing is, uh, on the left-hand side, you can see how you are now able to configure the OpenStack API extractor for a, for a given platform uh, to go to the Celometer data API instead. So in this example, you see two checkboxes, one for KVM and one for VMware hosts. And uh, you can see the KVM box has been checked, but that implies is that KVM hosts in the environment uh, will be extracted uh, in terms of performance data from the Celometer API. So um, the rest of the um, configuration and relationship data can be extracted through the OpenStack Nova API as always. So such things as number of vCPUs requested and so on, 
and the cloud topology relationship, the infrastructure hierarchy from the host aggregate to the host, the VM, um, all of those things continue to be extracted using the NOVA API. There are also new elements that I mentioned, uh, hypervisors and flavors. Flavors are um, similar to a template for a VM that you can specify in OpenStack. And so those are imported as system templates. You can also extract the tenant hierarchy, which shows you which tenants own which VM. And there are some supported OpenStack versions for this. These are all also, of course, explained in the documentation. So the key advantage of this new Celometer API, particularly for the KVM case, is uh, low footprint and maintenance cost. So that instead of deploying capacity agents on all hosts, you could go this way and extract the data, the performance data from a single point, which is promised by Celometer. So the architecture has now been enhanced in this way. At the center of the screen, you see true site capacity optimization OpenStack ETL. It used to, in 10 import the resource and tenant hierarchies, um, that is the top arrow, and also include, that imports also the configuration metrics, like the number of VCPs requested and so on. That goes to the NOVA API. And what's new is the importing of performance data directly from the Celometer API. That's in the center of the screen. In Tenno, also, of course, you could implement additional uh, ETLs, just as I mentioned, for importing performance data, depending on the type of hypervisor it was. So down in the yellow, we mentioned clusters and hosts of whichever hypervisor uh, you've chosen. And whatever hypervisor API there was, was being used by the ETL. So in the case of KVM, uh, your best choice at that time was to install the agents, the fact the agents on the host and the gateway server. So that would be the ETL we're referring to. In the case of vCenter, there would be the vCenter service ETL. And those choices are still there. You can also import workload data, of course, uh, as you always could. And that's the last uh, box at the bottom by installing agents directly into the guest OS. And that option, again, remains available. So the performance data collection, uh, this is another look at the configuration of that. So in the OpenStack configuration, nothing much has changed at the top. What is new is the Celometer data collection section at the bottom. So for, separately for the KVM hypervisor and for the VMware hypervisor, you can choose to use Celometer data or not. The reason you might not use Celometer data is because you might have agents already on the host or some alternative way of importing the data. A note about storage metrics. There are differences between the performance data metrics that you can get from these different methods. Um, as it says in the note here, uh, the dstore metrics are available only when the OpenStack ETL service is shared with the gateway server or VMware vCenter ETLs. So this is a look at the out-of-the-box view. And you can see at the top the hierarchy. Inside the cloud is a region. And this is the list of hypervisors in that region. 
Hypervisors, roughly speaking, is what OpenStack calls virtual hosts. And in this case, you can see in the table three KVM hosts and two VMware hosts. This screen shows the instance types or flavors that are now imported into, into capacity optimization from OpenStack. So here you see uh, the instance types tab in the new screens of the out-of-the-box views. Uh, you can see a list of instance types that have been defined in this cloud by the administrator. Now when you install OpenStack, you get certain uh, predefined flavors already created and available. So you can expect that those would be extracted. But you also have the ability in OpenStack to define your own. And whichever ones you've defined are imported as, as system templates. And you can see in this table the details of each of these templates. So the number of vCPUs, memory for instance, disk space, and so on. And then when you see the host aggregates in this new out-of-the-box view, you can see that host aggregates, uh, which if you recall in OpenStack, are collections of hosts that have been defined by the administrator, uh, which contain multiple hosts typically. So in this particular case, let's say they are KVM hosts, then the aggregates are defining groups of KVM hosts. And as you can expect, the capacity aggregated at this host aggregate level can be looked at at a glance in this table. But you can also see the spare VMs. And the basis for the spare VMs, in which you recall there are two options typically. We either allow you to use the average of the VM size that are already on that aggregate or on that system that's in the table. Um, and in addition to that, we allow you to instead specify a custom VM size uh, in other out-of-the-box views. So in the case of OpenStack, there's another enhancement, which is that you can instead choose an instance type based on the existing flavors that have been imported from the OpenStack environment. So you can ask quickly the question, uh, how many spare VMs do I have if I consider all the new VMs to be this kind of, uh, you know, a small or a large or a medium and so on? All right, for the visualization analytics that are available in the workspace, there are some new features. There are new analysis and model options for time comparison. So these are new options available. You create analyses and models as you do before for either resource utilization metrics, meaning what we call performance metrics, as well as for KPIs, that is business driver metrics, to display in the same charts. So you can Compare before and after views and easily identify spikes and outliers. So you could have day over day, week over week, month over month, and so on. You can also have current values compared with future forecasted values, which come from a different source. So for example, if you have a business forecast, then you can compare that business forecast for a business metric against current values. And you can also compare future values with actuals and as well as 
forecasting model generated results so that you can compare how good the simulation was against the actuals as well as how good the forecasts were. So because many people have been using uh, different ways to achieve this goal, uh, these new options significantly make it easier to create these kinds of results. On the right-hand side, you can see how you configure this. So uh, you, can, uh, you can choose to compare with different time periods as you define the analysis. Uh, you can either choose no comparison, which is a normal, or you can choose all those options, for example, compare with the previous two months in a month-by-month -month way. Similarly, forecasted values, you can choose to display forecasted values or display only measured values. And you can also choose comparing forecasted values with measured values. You can also filter the forecast so that you can do estimated daily value forecast models or external daily forecast value, which means user-defined. So here are some examples. On the left-hand side, orders received, and these are time bar. Uh, these are comparing total orders received in the second week of October over the fifth week. On the right-hand side, you see time bar analysis, a different method, total phone calls year over year. So you're comparing three different years superimposed on each other. There are more examples here. So time bars analysis, total orders received actual against forecasted by marketing. So in this case, the blue ones are the orders received actuals, and the red ones are the orders received that are an external daily forecast value that was imported from outside. The middle one talks about time analysis, where you're saying total orders received actual, which is a line, plus forecasted by marketing, which is bars, and plus forecasted by capacity optimization, which is also in bars in this case. So you can compare three different ways of doing it. So the actuals versus two different forecasts. You see a similar example on the right-hand side. It's a time analysis. Total orders received actuals, plus forecasted, plus forecasted by CO through a time forecasting model. There's a new feature which is supporting formulas in analysis. So the idea is that very often you might need to import the uh, or let's say export from capacity optimization the data behind an analysis only because you want to do some simple transformations of the data in an external tool or go to custom reports in capacity optimization. Uh, now you can do that, uh, a lot of that, within capacity optimization itself by defining what we call formulas. The idea is that these formulas can be applied to the available metrics directly by capacity optimization. So you don't have to go to external reporting tools. You can do things like changing the scale factor on an available metric, or you can compute derived metrics by using different options. So you can have counts, absolute numbers, differences between subsequent samples, peak counter, and so on. So there's a little formula editor with which you can define new formulas 
And once you've defined them, you can use them in analyses. So just the way you could use any metric to build an analysis in the workspace, you can now use a combination of metrics as well as formulas. As part of that, we've also improved the metric selection user interface screen. So um, it's hard to select metrics when there are so many possible metrics that you can have in a capacity optimization instance. With this UI, metrics are grouped by resource type, first of all. So you can see all the CPU metrics in one place, memory, storage, and so on. On the left-hand side in the screen, you can see how these different um, groups are presented in a collapsed and expanded form. The second thing you can do is filter them by system type. So you can see the target entity category. You can specify system. And you can say target entity type. So here you're seeing only the ones that are valid for virtual cluster VMware. And that reduces the list of metrics. And then I define, as I said earlier, formulas can be used for analysis. So in addition to the metrics, the formulas that we defined earlier can be used in addition. So you can see in the metric formula filter at the bottom of the screen, uh, you can see all the formulas that have been defined. So that just as you select metrics, you can select formulas as well. The capacity pool view, which is uh, highly popular, now supports KVM. And so you can define a capacity pool of KVM hosts and then do all the things that you can do for AIX and VMware hosts and clusters today. So it builds a capacity pool view and automatically gives you the usage, risk, and efficiency scores and the drill downs. One new feature we have in 10.3 is integration with IT data analytics. And this might require a little bit of explanation for people who are not familiar with this product. It's part of the TrueSight operations management suite. And what does TrueSight IT data analytics do, ITDA? It does data mining of any kind of structured and semi-structured data, typically log files and event files. Uh, the purpose is for troubleshooting and root cause analysis. So um, the way it works roughly is there's a screenshot on the left where it lets you define a search string or a query that counts the number of events during a certain period. So you can say, I want to count the occurrences of the word return code equals X, Y, Z. And you can have expressions to combine different criteria. And you have expressions and words in the syntax that allow you to say, uh, print out the sum or the average and things like that. Once you define this query, it lets you save it as a, as a named saved search. So you give it a name and you save it so that you can run it again and again. And all these predefined save searches and other act artifacts are packaged together for a particular application. And they call them content packs in ITDA. So they might have one for, uh, let's say, for payroll application or, or uh, a particular kind of Oracle application. It could also be for a custom-built application because there are certain queries that may be very useful for certain kinds of troubleshooting. So that's the reason for offering this product. It's kind of similar to Splunk, if you know about that. So the, why would we integrate that into capacity optimization? The purpose is that 
ITDA is a, is a rich source of business KPIs. We can correlate resource utilization with business drivers in capacity optimization. You can balance the load of servers based on business growth. Uh, you can analyze how IT changes impact the ability to support business. So what will happen if I do the certain change? All of these reasons um, are the ones that you usually import business drivers for. Uh, you can estimate the saturation point and residual capacity with respect to business drivers. So instead of saying that um, my server will be CPU saturated or memory saturated, you can say uh, my application as it's running on this configuration can support only up to 800 tickets per, per hour, for example. And you can discover capacity issues in general that impact business. So for all these reasons, it's important to import uh, any of these business driver metrics and IT data analytics has many of them. So the way the integration works is that uh, there is a new ETL uh, meant for integrating ITDA data. And you, when you configure it, you can specify which saved searches uh, to import counts from. So here you can see all these uh, saved searches have been added by the, by the administrator. So in capacity optimization, you can say, I'm going to point you to this installation of IDDA. And of all the saved searches that you see, the following ones are of interest to me. And at runtime, the ETL will create business driver and the metric based on each saved search. And it will periodically run uh, that through API call to ITDA and extract the metric values uh, by running the saved search remotely. So the saved search is still being performed by ITDA. It is being performed under control of an API. And that's the API that this ETL is calling. So the result of this is that it remotely executes a saved search every time, uh, which outputs an event count. And then the ETL captures this output as a business driver metric. So on the right-hand side, you can see a snapshot of business drivers, a bunch of them that have been defined in this way and imported from an ITDA installation. The supported ITDA versions are listed there, and we expect to continue in this way as new features are added in ITDA. Uh, you'll find certain configuration data for these business drivers, uh, which you can see at the bottom of the screen. There's a resource or a metric named search string, which is the actual query string that was extracted through the API. This will allow you to um, serve as documentation to find out exactly what the query was doing on the ITDA side. And the main result is really the performance metric that you see at the bottom, total events in this case. And that's the result that was extracted uh, from ITDA. There are administrative simplifications that have been done in 10.3. Um, this topic is about flexible data collection and retention policies. So there's the concept of custom aging classes and the concept of metric profiles. These are new options uh, that are available for customizing the aging class 
in your environment. You could have control at the metric level, and you can define metric profiles uh, so that you can put together a combination of custom aging classes. So all of this is in order to improve efficiency and to simplify the administration so that you can make the right trade-off of how much data to keep and how long you want to keep it versus the ability to have certain metrics collected or not. So the way it works is that um, on the right-hand side, you can, you can, uh, you see these aging classes, um, and there's a profile level. Um, there are four profile levels defined. There's essential metric, basic metric, standard, and extended. And what the right-hand side is saying is that for each of these levels of metrics, you've assigned this level to each metric in the system. How long do I want to keep uh, the aging period? for that class. So in this example, somebody set short to all of these. And then you can override the level per metric if you want. So for example, on the left-hand side, you can see a list, there's a new uh, UI for the system metrics. And you see um, the list of metrics in that. So by system type, you can see all the metrics. And for each metric, there is a default level that's been defined in capacity optimization. So let's look at the first row. It says, for this particular metric called CPU capped util from the HNC, which is the HNC reported CPU capped utilization percent, by default, it's the level three that is standard. And I want to make it extended. And what standard and extended means can be interpreted by an ETL that's trying to collect the data to see if this is um, part of what I should import, or at a, at, with a single click, you can say don't collect extended metrics. So it's two levels of control that you have. Then you define metric profiles for selected system types and metrics, and you can select a particular metric profile while configuring each ETL task. So um, the idea is that you, you've defined on the left-hand side the metrics that you want, the, the metric level for each metric. And then on the ETL side, on the right-hand side, when you edit the run configuration default, you can either choose to use the global metric profile, which is the default that ships with capacity optimization, in which all the metrics have been pre-assigned their levels. Or you can select a custom metric profile that you may have created on the left. And that that third uh, pull-down is the most important one. It says levels up to three standard. What that implies is I want you to collect levels one, two, and three only. So this allows um, an administrator to, um, at a glance, control in one setting which metrics are important enough to be collected and how long they should be aged. So if you do nothing else, the simplest thing to do is to visit the run configuration default for each ETL. And you'll find that by default, level three is the standard. So levels one, two, and three will be collected. So that's one place you can extend or reduce the number of metrics you're collecting to make the trade-off between this space and the number of metrics you have. And if you don't like the actual settings of the levels for each metric, if you think a certain metric is more important to me, even though it's considered a level four metric, 
then you can go to the left-hand side and change its level. Right? So, um, I think um, at this point we, I should list the resources that are available to you and then hand it over to John. So there's a website, bmc.com slash capacity, which has all of these resources available to you. Uh, there's a new 10.3 datasheet, a new on-demand customizable video demo, a new two-site capacity optimization free trial, new how-to videos, there's a new white paper about cloud capacity management. So, John, uh, let me see. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, Sadir. Thank you. Nice job, and, and appreciate the, uh, the review of all the features coming out in 10.3. Let's just go a little further into the presentation. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to bring up as part of the 10.3 uh, program is we had a very robust beta program prior to coming into 10.3 while it's going through its development cycle. And the, the features that you saw there, some of them were part of the beta program and everything. And we're in the process of looking at 10.5, which is, is, is targeted for next year, early part of next year. And we are starting, or actually we're in the midst of our beta program now. And I wanted to review that with uh, the folks that are on the phone in case any of you uh, might still want to get involved. There's still a little bit of time if you want to get involved with the beta program and everything, but I think it at least gives you a little insight of what's coming down the road um, uh, for 10.5 and everything. So I do appreciate you t giving me a couple minutes to talk about this. So one of the things is, is you know, what is a beta program? Uh, a beta program, if you haven't been part of it for 10.3 or 10.0, we focus on gaining feedback around certain themes, beta themes. And we usually select four beta type themes that uh, we, we want to get feedback for. And, and it really the idea here is that we're trying to gain uh, not only insight in how the, the themes are working and you know, how valuable they are to you or what kind of changes, but it also gives us insight into future ideas and RFEs and mapping them to it. And we usually cut, conduct this about midpoint of the development cycle for the next release. And 10.5 is our next release. We've been, in this what's new, we've been focusing on 10.3. So we're a little bit later than midpoint, but really we're focused on gaining some feedback and, and the value that these, uh, these things are providing to you. Now the opposite of this is what the beta program is not. It's not an early release of the product. It's not a, a full test of the product, what you know, some vendors would call a field test or a test of you know, collection of data for next release of vSphere or Red Hat. It's really focused on getting feedback for new functional use cases, those themes that we brought up and everything. So just uh, the four themes that we're focusing on for the 10.5 beta, and again, if any of you are interested, uh, please get a hold of me and everything and that type of stuff. You can, we can wrap you into the, the discussions and everything. Um, also, if you go out in communities, there is a, a, a little bit more detailed overview of some of these uh, components here. But the four of them are, are, you know, we've talked about the green being the simplification area, uh, orange being the enhancement for analytics, and then the coverage support being blue. So on the simplification side in the green area here, we have two topics. One is the capacity pool view. 
Um, you know, if you know our TrueSight operations management, they've adopted the TrueSight UI experience. And for 10.5, we're starting to put a small incremental step forward in that space with the capacity pool view. It affords us a number of things. One is there's a nicer graphic package in there uh, giving us some more controls of widgets and UI flows and that type of stuff. And second, it is a responsive app. So what it allows us to do is provide you the ability to have that view in a mobile device. And we're, you know, we're focusing this on the tablet form of the mobile device. That's what uh, our OM folks are using, and that's what we'll be using uh, from focusing here for mobile devices. The second on the simplification side of the house is, and this is we're talking to the beta customers who have signed up already, um, you know, is the simplified analytics and reporting. It's, it's the ability to take our basic report and, and really enhance it in, inside uh, of wizards and being able to configure UI, restructure the layout, do domain level reporting, aggregate more reports together. But it's, the idea here is we're trying to get the 80-20 rule where 80% of what you might have to go into advanced reports now is part of simplified reports and the basic reports. So really focusing on that. Uh, if we go up to the right-hand corner, the reservations, we've enhanced that with uh, Hyper-V support into the reservations. We already support, as uh, we were noting before, um, in the reservation area, AIX, vSphere, and KVM. So we're extending that support to Hyper-V. And what we'll be also adding in there is the ability to share a, a reservation schedule with your external people you're working for with, with your projects, right? So you might want to get feedback from so you can share that with them versus having them actually get into the CO console and that type of thing. And last but not least, you know, we continue to support the development of cloud support. Um, as you, you know, heard from Sadir, uh, we added a lot of support for the AWS side of the house and giving you the ability to do analytics and modeling and chargeback and all that capability. Uh, we're extending that support now into the Azure public cloud space. And we're, we're developing a connector for that and you'll be able to utilize that. So these are the four themes. Now, this is not a review of the 10.5 uh, feature lists or that type of stuff. This is the beta themes that we are, are focusing for through the beta program. A little further here, sorry. So how do you get the beta program? We'll talk a little bit of delivery. We have multiple options if you decide you want to join our beta program. Of course, we have an option A, like a lot of other companies, where you can fully install uh, the product in your environment, overlay your test environment, use your own data, and configure your own data. Um, we also provide an option B, uh, pre-packaged VMs that you can start in your virtualization environments. It, it, you know, it provides you a quicker setup because you don't have to go through the install. You can still use your own data. And what's nice about it is you're not overlaying your existing test environment, right? So you're not impacting that. But really the most popular option that we have, and, and we encourage a lot of our customers to use it, is our cloud option, cloud C, uh, option C. And it's really, we set up in the cloud uh, and we give you about a week or so to go through the, the environment, but it's really the 10.5 the beta uh, uh, code up and running with our data. And we provide you pre-configured scenarios to walk through and, and touch and feel the environment, but it gets you to it right away. And you, you don't have to go through the setup and 
and, and configuration of the environment, which is very nice. So it is our most popular uh, option. We, I think we introduced this from 10.3, and then <clears throat> and we've had a lot of adoption from our 10.5 beta customers. So again, if you're, you're considering it, reach out to us, and we definitely would want to have you as part of that. Let me just give you a little bit of a timeline here of where we're at. We're pretty much into the beta program now. We've been inviting customers to it, and, um, and we've gotten some folks signing up for it. You know, we, we have some good, good customers jumping in there, and everybody seems to be pretty excited about it. Um, again, if you would like to join, please reach out to us and everything. We'd, we'd add you in there as, as best we can. Time's getting a little crunched, but um, I think we can still fit you in. And we'll run this for six weeks. Um, really start to have the cloud option available starting next week, and it'll run through to January 15th. There are legal documents that have to be signed and stuff like that because you are testing beta code, of course. Um, as part of the end of the program, we do a lot of surveying, right? So there's a feedback collection mechanism where we want to get feedback not only about the beta program and those themes, but why would those be important to you? Right, and also there's questions in there about you know documentation. What do you think of the documentation? And we we really want your feedback about it. It's very important for us to continue to improve the program. And I believe that is the last slide. I do want to thank the the panel that's on and everything, and also the participants who are have been from our customer base who've been listening in to Sadir and myself go through the 10.3 features and also the 10.5 beta program, I threw that in at the end. And um, I'll turn that back over to the moderator, I believe. Thanks, John. Can we have the moderator take all, please? Thank you, and that will conclude today's conference. We'd like to thank everyone for their participation.